And thank you all. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to be in Psalm 84 this morning for our opening read. Uh, Really going to set the tone for a a larger conversation we're going to have uh, about uh, a longing that our hearts have uh, that we find satisfied and find fulfilled uh, through the promises that the Scripture gives us and through our faith in what the Scripture shows us. So Psalm 84 is one of my favorite uh, chapters of the Bible. There's been songs inspired by this in, in our modern times. Um, some, of the, some of these verses I'm sure you've committed to memory, maybe not even realizing they were from this text. So uh, if you find your place, Psalm 84. Uh, God's word says this is a song written by the choir that David had uh, organized. They were called the sons of Korah. They were from a musical family among the tribe of Levi. Uh, the sons of Korah uh, was, a, was a choir that, that lasted for generations uh, and it was sort of a family tradition to join and worship the Lord. And, and one of their greatest hits, uh, one of their all-time classics, uh, Psalm 84 The scripture says, how lovely is your tabernacle. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage to your house. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. And that's a picture of the people who would make their uh, annual, often monthly uh, trip to the house of God there in Jerusalem. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who trusts in you. You know, I think a lot about human nature. Maybe I think a little too much. Uh, you might think I do it to analyze you, which of course that's my, my job, but really I, I do it to better know myself. Um, I, I know that might sound a little weird, but you know, people that wear these and stand in front of people on Sundays are not, are not the, the most normal. You probably figured that out. Um, I, I was talking to someone years ago in the church about uh, my time in grad school and seminary, and they were asking what it was like to be in a room full of other pastors or would-be pastors. And my response was, "It's it's kind of it's kind of quiet. It, it's kind of it's kind of an odd place to be. Uh, I, you know, the dynamic of a room full of of pastors or, or would-be pastors studying to uh, to serve the church. Um, you know, it, it's uh, everybody kind of in the room. And most pastors or most studying to be pastors, um, they're they're bookworms. They're kind of introverts." right so you get a room full of us and, and yeah there's that one that wants to hear himself talk but that doesn't you know, that won't really take take them very far uh, most of the, most of us in the room were pretty quiet and, and kind of you know uh, introspective and, and introverted but somehow you, you get up here and, and, and you have trouble not talking so I guess it's funny how that happens um, but uh, as you might expect I, I get hung up on some ideas and subjects that maybe the most normal people don't spend a lot of time thinking about and, and that's how it works right people in positions specific positions you know you are, are 
meant to think about things that maybe others don't. Um, thankfully, you don't have to think about all this stuff that, that I think about a lot, except for when you listen to me a couple times a week or so. But I, I think that it's important that we talk about some of these deeper subjects. Um, I, I kind of have to, or I'm supposed to dive into this stuff that maybe most people don't think about too much um, on their own. And one of the underlying analyses that the Bible shines a light on is our nature. Uh, the nature that not just I have and you have, but all of us have, and it's a shared nature. But one of the things the Bible particularly uh, talks about and shines a light on is how you and I, how we often misunderstand, how we often misread our own nature. And, and you might think, well, nobody knows me better than I know me, and, and I think I understand and, and read my nature very well. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't convince you otherwise, but I can kind of maybe shine a light in your direction to make you think, Maybe there's something to that. Uh, one of the earliest stories in the scriptures is the, tra- is the tragedy of two brothers. Uh, the two brothers, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, the first, first people. Um, and, and you know the story, one of them kills the other. Again, a tragedy that when there was just four people on the planet, uh, the population was cut by a quarter, uh, which is hard to even fathom. And that story is really a story of extremes, and it's meant to highlight this thing that we need to know about our own natures. Um, but the point of the story isn't that Cain plotted some sinister plan to go and take down his brother. The point of the story, if you read it and if you know it well, the point of the story is that he didn't really intend to do that. Uh, he lost control of himself, and afterwards, he was completely in disbelief that it happened. Moral of the story, and it's, and it's an extreme picture meant to send this message that resonates with all of us and gets all of us to think, uh, it's so easy to misread and overlook completely what's going on in our souls. It's easy to think that we know what's going on and think that we know what we are, you know, what our intentions are, but sometimes we misread, we misunderstand what is coming from our souls. Our nature is good at deflecting and shirking and dodging the real issues. Our nature is good at masking our real motives. So good that it fools even us. One of the most important verses that's also overlooked uh, is found in that story right after the fall uh, in that tragic aftermath of Cain murdering his brother. It's meant to send a message to all of us that we not underestimate, that we don't let our guards down concerning our nature. God comes to Cain and says this, its desire is contrary to you, your nature. You, you think you have control. You think that you understand what your motives are. Cain, I got to tell you something. It's, it's contrary to you. It's against your best interest. And you may think, well, this makes me feel kind of, you know, un, uh, insecure and, and makes me feel kind of uncomfortable that my own nature is not to be trusted. And there, there's good news, don't worry. But God's word to Cain was, its desire is contrary to you. It's not always looking out for the best of you, but you must and you can master it. You can rule over it or you can wrap your arms around it and figure it out and go in the right direction. Again, that's in Genesis 4. So if you think God was trying to send a message for all of us to listen to, that's exactly what's going on. Now you may say, Justin, if I can't trust my own gut, if I can't trust my own nature, then what or who can I trust? To which my response is, if that is your question and you are sincerely asking that question, which I'm sure many of you are, I'm glad you're here today and I promise you there's good news. There's good news. 
I tell you, um, we've got to be thankful that the Bible shines light on this and shines light on us and lets us know what we cannot see. As I've studied more about human nature, especially this idea that we can't necessarily trust it uh, and go with the flow of whatever feels good at any given time or feels sound, I'm fascinated that we share this nature. It's so complex and there's so many specialty uh, fields that study this and so many ways you can turn the diamond and look at the different angles that, that peer into our souls. As complex as it is, as it is it's also very simple. And it's the simplicity that makes it easy to identify why we shouldn't trust it and also points us to where we can place our trust and find some help. We have this nature that has the capacity to allow for us and lead us in all different directions on different paths, different dreams, different goals. But in reality, as unique as we may all seem and as unique as all of our emotions and problems and, 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 and aspirations may seem, it's really just a magic trick. That uniqueness, that difference. While we may all masquerade as if we're all different and driven by unique specific things, beneath all of our individual aspirations and ambitions is this shared nature that really wants one thing, that really wants the same thing. We, we all want this intangible thing, and I think you'll agree. We all want this intangible thing that we might articulate in different ways. From the plans we make to the paths we take, we are all after something bigger than the place we end up at. It's bigger than the destination we arrive at or the things that we, we uh, uh, you know, take hold of, the ribbons and trophies that we acquire in the process. I think ultimately, and, and again, I think all of us would agree, and, and if, we, if we abstractly you know, define or describe the ambitions we have and the goals that we have and the dreams that we have, I think all of us ultimately are looking for and longing for the same things. A sense of worth, acceptance, accomplishment, a, a sense of peace and purpose and pride. That if you look all, you know, all of us are unique, all of us have unique paths and plans, but if you back up 30,000 feet and you look down from the heavens on all of us, we all are after the same thing. We want a sense of worth. We want to feel accomplished. We want to feel accepted. We want peace. We want purpose. We want to have that good kind of pride that we are good at, happy at where we're, with where we're at and what we've done and where we are going. And I think in the grand scheme of things that these are all kind of the same thing, just expressed a different way. So in all my studies and contemplating and concentrating on our nature, what it's after and well, you know, whether, we'll, whether, whether it'll get us to where we want or not, um, whether it can provide us what our hearts want or not, um, here's what I've arrived at and here's what I think you will agree with me on. Human nature's greatest ambition greatest aspiration, our greatest desire is to belong. But I think if you, if you were to, and I know no one, you know, maybe you don't like to do this, or maybe you don't like someone doing this to you, but I, I mean, if you sat down in front of someone who is qualified, if you, if you trust the, 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 the rationale that we've went through today, all of us, I think all of our hearts, all of us at our core, every one of us share a nature that just wants to belong. We want to matter. We want to find and feel and sustain some kind of significance. I think if you analyze why we do what we do, what, we know, what drives us, what motivates us from the smallest things to the largest things, all of us just want to belong and just want to matter. We just want to feel something that means that we're significant behind all of our individual unique plans. The pathways that we take is a longing for more than we are and that we have in and of ourselves. We have this longing to belong to something that matters, that's significant. This is why we do anything that we do. This is why we make the decisions that we make or don't make the decisions 
that we make because we want to belong. This nature, this desire, we can also be conditioned and manipulated. And I think you'll, I think you'll really resonate, or this will really re- resonate with you. This nature can be manipulated or conditioned by people that we're around. So that we don't just do what we feel like gives us a sense of belonging, but we'll do what others tell us will scratch that itch. And I think you can relate. Which is why sometimes we do things and we'll be somebody that isn't who we necessarily wanted to be or what we wanted to do, but we are trying to please other people because we discover that our sense of belonging comes with pleasing someone else, with fitting into someone else's image. And whether we should go down that road or not, we all do, don't we? We allow other people to influence us, and I don't mean they do it maliciously, but they manipulate and condition us that we realize my belonging and my mattering and my significance is going to be found in trying to do what makes them happy. And that's why we often do things that we wouldn't do on our own. We do it for others because we discover and we determine that if I'm going to feel like I matter and belong, I'm going to have to do what they want me to do. Sometimes we do it for good reasons. Sometimes we do it... And we regret it later, but that, again, drives our decision-making. We try to fulfill someone else's vision for us if we think that's where our belonging comes from. But that person matters to us. They have influence over us, and we think we've got to please them in order to belong. So, whether, it, whether the inspiration for our choices and our decisions is our own intuition or someone else's expectation, our desire to belong will cause us to do any number of things and will send us down any number of paths. Some things that we might not even consider and understand in the moment or after the fact. It's kind of like this. Have you ever been, and I'm sure you have, have you ever been frustrated with a computer or a phone or any technological device? Have you ever been frustrated with a computer or a phone or something, uh, maybe an appliance, and you threw your hands up and said to yourself, this thing has a mind of its own. And you are in just complete distress and you are done with whatever thing you're trying to tinker with and work on. It could be something you're trying to put together for your kids. It could be your own phone that does what it wants to do. We've all thought this thing is impossible to figure out. There's no way I can, I can make it work. It does what it wants to. That's kind of true about our nature. That's kind of true about your own nature. It's got a mind of its own. And it wouldn't matter so much if if it always led us to healthy, positive, good destination. But the reality is, like the story from early creation, sometimes nature leads us, causes us, inspires us to do things that we later regret, all in the name of belonging. We do things that we think, I've got to do this if I'm going to matter. I've got to do this if I'm going to sustain my significance. And then later on, we look back and think, I shouldn't have done that. But the reason we did it It's because in that moment we thought, if I'm going to belong, if I'm going to matter, if I'm going to mean something, I've got to do this. Now, I don't think any, this is any news to you. I don't think this is new to you. Maybe articulating the way we have helps put in perspective what, what you've already believed. I think all of us would admit that we're often frustrated with ourselves, wouldn't we? We do things hoping for one thing and end up somewhere else mentally, emotionally. Or sometimes we try, to get, we try to please others as best as we can. We try to satisfy others and we never can. And if we even, even if we do, we ourselves aren't at peace. And they're happy, but we're not. And in our quest to belong, we made someone else happy, but we ourselves feel as if we don't belong. And it's just a, it's just a kind of an a, a endless cycle. It's a complicated puzzle. Our brains and our nature... <laughs> 
they're kind of a mess sometimes. We can't trust ourselves yet, yet we're not happy until we please ourselves. And if you've ever felt stuck in this cycle, I'm there with you. But, and, it, and it may seem distressing, and, and, and I don't want anybody to think, well, he's, he's really led us to a dead end. Thankfully, we're just a few minutes in. It may feel hopeless to be here, but alas, there's hope, there is good news. The Bible doesn't just diagnose us with an untrustworthy nature. The Bible doesn't just diagnose us with this problem. As the verse we read earlier puts it, it says it's not to be trusted. It's contrary to you, but you can master it and you can harness what, the, the spark underneath all that for something good. How we utilize it and its longings to arrive at that belonging we so covet. We can, we can arrive at that place if we allow the Bible to speak to us as it, as it does. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, Solomon says uh, that God makes everything beautiful in its time. And that he has put eternity into the hearts of man. That there is a longing in your heart that cannot be satisfied or quenched by anything in this world and by anything that we come, with, come up with on our own. That God is the one that makes things beautiful. That God is the one that makes things full. God is the one that makes things complete. He has put that longing in our hearts, yet we cannot find this path. We cannot find this place or this, this feeling on our own. So while we shouldn't trust that our, what our hearts are suggesting all the time that, that will satisfy this longing, we should not ignore this longing because that longing will lead us to a better place. So, so I just want to recap what we've said so far so everybody's on the same page. We all have a nature that longs to belong but will commonly misdirect us. Can we agree on that? We have a nature that longs to matter, that longs for significance, that longs to belong, but it will often misdirect us and we wonder why I did this for this and now I don't feel that. We all long to belong, but it misdirects us, it misleads us. Thankfully, the Bible does not just criticize us. It doesn't just say you have a problem. The Bible leads us and draws us towards a savior that can help. Just as we share this nature, we share a solution. The Bible is the story of God's quest to restore us to himself, to reveal us the answer, that he is the answer. He has the salvation that we're looking for. The Bible, if you want to summarize it like this, the Bible is God's rescue letter to tell us that we desire a relationship with him more than we desire anything or want anything else and that he is where our belonging is found in him and in, the, in what he is calling us into. That is where we find our significance. That is where we find our belonging. He is our creator after all. We are all born into a world that is slanted away from him. That slant, that slope, it makes it impossible for us to approach him on our own. It's too steep. It's too, it's too much of an incline. But the Bible tells a story of God coming down the incline, coming down into our fallen world to rescue us and to save us, to give us what we want more than anything. The former president of the International Missions Board um, and pastor in Washington, D.C., David Platt, he tells a story of being in India on the mission field years ago, and he was talking to two prominent leaders in two different, two other religions. 
And both of those other leaders agreed that uh, even in their different faith, they're not that different eternally speaking because they're all trying to get up the mountain to the single God that we all share. And that both of those religions offer a pathway up the mountain. And if you do your best and you work hard and you try and you overcome the obstacles, you'll get to the top of the mountain and you realize that there, there is the God that we all serve. Yet David told them while he agreed we all share a creator and while we are all valued by him equally, Christianity cannot be understood that way because Christianity isn't about us trying to climb a mountain back to God it's about God coming down the mountain to reconcile us back to him by his own hands with his own blood and of course that's the story of Jesus God made flesh come to earth to die for our sins to restore us back to our creator that is what makes Christianity so unique and that's what makes it so exclusive but Jesus did something else when he came to earth. He left something behind, just this, not just the message and this the invitation. He built something during his time on earth. He built a community, a place for all of us to tangibly and physically belong to, to serve as the touch point for what is otherwise ethereal and unseen, to tether us to something that will always remind us of where and how we can belong. Jesus, of course, built his church. Jesus knew that in our flesh we would need visualization and understanding of what he came to do, which is why he communicated through and established practices for his followers to uphold. We, we call these, these, thing, these practices, we call these, um, these, uh, these visual aids, we call them sacraments, which are, sacraments is just a fancy Latin word that means sacred symbols. We call these sacraments. There's baptism. Baptism is a ceremony where we wash away our sins and we are raised up clean and new. A picture of what God does with his spirit. But it gives us a visual presentation. Communion is the presentation of the body and blood of Jesus broken for us on Calvary that restores us from the inside out. And in that presentation, in that, that demonstration, we get a visual aid and a spiritual aid. These two things are introduced as key practices, not in Christian homes or not in private circles, but within and a part of the local church. And the church might be the most sacred symbol of them all. Housing these two practices and so many more, along with the communities of living, breathing people, it's what gives life and meaning to the ceremonies and everything that we do as Christians because it brings us together and allows us to see reflected back at us our ultimate reason and belonging. You'll remember that God's pathway to sending Jesus and building his church featured a founding of a nation, his own nation, Israel. It was through the nation that he introduced himself to the world, prepared the world for Jesus, setting the stage for the world today. Today, faith is not confined to a nation, but we remember the means that God took to get here. Israel was a picture of what God was building that would be worldwide through the church that would not be contained to boundaries in certain places in the world but would be everywhere you'll remember that God gave Israel some key rules to live by to help establish them as a nation and secure them as a, a, a attention grabber in the world it's not insignificant that God's focus in the Old Testament was never a single person it was always a nation it was always this group of people that belonged to a single family and it's also not insignificant one of the major laws that he gave them. You know the Ten Commandments. The first one is that God should be first. That there is one God and him only should you serve. But the second of those commandments is about how we should remember him or how we should be reminded of him. 
And he made a point to say how they should not be reminded of him. How they should not you know, recognize him or how they should not um, you know, keep him at the center of their attention. He told them in Exodus 20 verse 4 that they should not make a carved image or a likeness of him to represent him. He said, I do not want you to make an idol of me. I do not want you to make some image of me to keep, to, to remind yourself of me, to put in your worship places and say, that's what our God looks like. I do not want you to do that. Why do you think God told Israel not to make an image of him? If you pay attention to the rest of the laws that he gives, you'll figure it out. 70% of the laws that God gave Israel were not about whether they did anything towards him or not. They were about how they treated each other. He gave all these do's and don'ts about how Israel should make sure their society stayed united and how they should be on good terms with each other. More of the laws had to do with their posture towards each other, not their posture towards God. You may wonder, what has that got to do with the image of God or the, or the representation of God? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you and I are made in God's image. That everybody, everybody has the breath of God in them in the image of God on them. That everybody that's born into this world is an image bearer of their God. So, if we're all made in God's image and God cares most about how we treat each other and God cares what we do to each other or what we don't do to each other and he stresses that we don't need a physical idol to remind us of him if you put all that together what is God saying to the Jews you don't need an idol of me you don't need a representation of me because everybody you're ever eyeball to eyeball with side by side with will remind you of me that God's image is everywhere, in and on everyone. So why do you not need an idol? Because you can look at your neighbor, you can look at your enemy, and in their eyes, on their face, is the image of your God. And that should remind you who you both answer to. God didn't want his image reduced down to an abstract figure. He wanted us to see his face reflected back at us through one another to guide our conscience that way. Now you fast forward to Jesus and Jesus showed up and they asked him one day, what are the greatest commandments or what is the greatest commandment? And he said, I'll give you a short and sweet summary of the entire law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And everyone's was saying well Jesus that's so easy because you can't I, I love God and you love God and you can't tell me I'm not loving God because you don't know my heart we all can love God in our own way we all can define what loving God means in our own way and Jesus said exactly which is why I don't just have one commandment for you because there's a second one and it's like the first as in it's the other side of the coin and you can't have the first without the second because the second clarifies whether you mean the first you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two things hang all the old testament hang all the scriptures so in this jesus is emphatically saying your love for god is authenticated and validated and exemplified in how you love or if you love one another. 
This doesn't just apply at home. It doesn't just apply with people that you like. It applies everywhere you find yourself eye to eye with an image of God. Your love for God, you love, you say you, John, Jesus' number one disciple later on would say, if you tell me you love God, I better see that you love others because if you don't love others, you don't love God. John, have you heard him preach? Have you heard him sing? Have you seen how much they do for you? And John says, I'm not impressed. I'm only impressed. I'm only moved when I see their love for God authenticated, validated, and how they love their neighbor. This is why Jesus built the church. This is why he gives us a place to physically belong to, to give us a family to belong to, to to put us side by side with people just like us, to remind us and encourage us, to surround us and immerse us in a community that answers the longing of our heart and gives us a purpose. So to bring all this full circle and to wrap all this up, what does your soul long for more than anything? It longs to belong to more than this world can offer you. Our nature will cause us to fixate and settle for all sorts of potential solutions for that peace and purpose and pride that we look for. But that's why we must be wary. And by faith, we can master it. When someone says, when someone asks you, when someone asks me, you know, why is church so important? I, I can give you a simple verse or two, yeah, but I think the subject deserves more nuance and more explanation than that. What you want more than anything is to belong to something, to feel significance that will last and continually fulfill you. And God's offer to you, God's answer to you, the only viable, lasting, sustainable solution is a relationship with Jesus and belonging to his body, coming into fellowship with other members of his body, belonging to his church. And the Bible would go as far as to say, don't tell me you have a relationship with Jesus. Show me your relationship with Jesus by having a relationship with his church. Because Jesus would say, and this isn't me, so I know people get offended by this because, I, we, listen, we've all got people that we know and love that claim Christianity but do not claim the church. And my response to you is this. I know it's sensitive. I know it's delicate. I love people and I'm not the judge. And thank God one day when we get to heaven, it'll all make sense. But here's what I know based on what God's word says and based on what the Bible defines Christianity. A relationship with Jesus puts you in a relationship with his body. And why is that so important? And, and why do we push back at that? Why, why does that make us a little bit get aggravated? Because our souls long for belonging and significance and when someone says that we're not finding it in the right place it offends us it offends us because the devil doesn't want us to know the truth and the devil doesn't want us to find the answer sometimes but it's like God told Cain you can't trust what your gut says to you but that longing deep down inside of you it's leading you to the right place if you can master it. I don't know what your attitude was when you woke up this morning to get ready to come here. And this message isn't to people that aren't here. This message is, is to bring into greater light and to make us have greater appreciation for the gift that God provides us. Not on a weekly basis, but on a daily basis. That belonging we find 
in Christ in his church. I don't know what your attitude was when you woke up this morning to get ready to come here today. Maybe it was just a routine that you go through every Sunday. Maybe, maybe you had a real struggle. I don't know if I want to do this today. I'm sure everybody's at different headspaces. You have various things that you sort through to get here on any given Sunday. And I think it's necessary that we soberly consider why Jesus and his church are so vital to our senses of worth. Your soul, your soul longs to be in the presence of God in the company of his people. I, I, don't, I know that might not be what you think. If I say, hey, what, is you, what do you want the most? I know your first answer isn't gonna be, I long to be in the presence of God in the company of his people. I'm just telling you, and I'm, this isn't me being smarter than you. This is just me allowing the scripture to shine at all of us. What I want the most, what you want the most, what we all want the most is to be in the presence of God and in the company of his people. That's what we want more than anything. And let me just say this. If you find yourself kind of overly irritated by this world, and you're always aggravated because you just can't find what you're looking for, maybe that's your soul's way of saying, it's right here. It's right there. Our souls long to be in the presence of God and the company of his people. And, and there is a provision in places like these that you'll need, that you, will, that you cannot find elsewhere and that you need more than anything. Jesus, Jesus, the, God, the man that said, I'm with you always, that same Jesus made this statement one day, and it's really a crazy statement when you think about it based on the rest of the Bible. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And, and my response is, Jesus, I don't need two or three to be with you. I mean, you told people when you ascended to heaven, I'm with you always. The Bible says over and over again that God lives in our hearts. God lives in our heart. Jesus is like, I give you a comforter. He's with you always, reminding you of, of, of my presence. Jesus, I don't got to be with nobody else to get with you. I can be with you anywhere. That's all over the Bible. And God says, yes, 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 that's true. So Jesus must be saying something in addition to that. He must be giving us something that goes on top of that. And he says to us, there is an experience with God. And there is a belonging you will feel. And there is, a, there is a, an opportunity available to you that is only found in leaning into and, dis, and, and setting your mind to find all that you can that's available to you through a relationship and a belonging to his body. That's all I can say. That's, that's the only way I can interpret that verse. Because the same Jesus made it very clear. I'm with you always. You don't need anybody to have me with you, I'm with you in your heart based on your faith. But that same Jesus said, we're two or three. That same Jesus said, if you just gather with two other people in the local church, there is an experience that you'll have with me that I will never, ever share with you elsewhere on any other terms. That's pretty significant. And does that make you look at what you do on Sunday morning a little bit more seriously? Does that make you straighten up a little bit and think, is there something here for me that I didn't realize? Is there something available to me that I, I've been just going, I've just been going through these motions. It's just this mundane routine that I even wonder if it's necessary. I mean, I know, I know you are never going to get along with everyone and maybe you don't even have the desire to know people outside your own little close group of people at home. I'm telling you, there is a desire within you. There is a desire within you that will never be quenched by even your most private, personal relationships. There is a desire within you that your husband, your wife, your kids cannot satisfy for you. Your best friend cannot satisfy with you, for you. 
There is a desire within you. You were made for more, more than just to belong to something of this world. You were made to belong to the family of God. I, I know there are a thousand things that we could set our minds on any given Sunday. I know that sometimes church is just, about, is just a stepping stone to what we have else to do for the rest of the weekend. But we must clear our heads of what the enemy wants to do to something that our souls truly want more than anything. And if this is anything, it's a palate cleanser for all of us to learn how to appreciate more and be more on fire for and to be greater evangelists of what the church is. All that church would be more than just a critical evaluation of songs and sermons and attendance. All that worship would be more than just going through the motions of music and counting down the minutes to when we leave. All that offering our praise and our time and our lives would be something more that we collectively understand is a means of building each other up and a means of glorifying our creator together. All that we wouldn't just file in and file out, only being moved if something emotional takes place in between our ears. All that we would sink our hearts and souls up with what God says is our greatest and ultimate longing. All that we would recognize what we have in front of us and what we've been invited to. All that we would appreciate the beauty of lifting up our voices with other believers, singing songs that speak peace and truth into our souls. No matter how different we may all be, we sing about the same salvation and we sing to the same God. All that we would, act, would see the act of sacrificing our day and our money and our minds, opening up to what God has to say and be transformed and united together with an agenda that just might change our lives for the better and just might change our world. All that we would listen to God's word and the message he inspires as, as, as hungry heart, with hungry hearts. Like when you sit down to a meal that's been delayed. And you can't wait to be filled. All that we would seek after what God has to say like we do for a bottle of water on a grueling hot day. I don't know about you, but rarely on Sundays, and I'll confess this, rarely on Sundays do I wake up aware that my soul longs for worship and fellowship more than my flesh longs for anything. We take medicine to soothe our ailing bodies. We eat and drink to replenish our parched flesh. We seek and engage in fun, entertainment, and socialize with our friends and family to find peace and joy and love. But our souls long to belong to God and his family, to worship and fellowship together. That desire and that longing is greater than any of those desires of our flesh put together times infinity. That's not just a sales pitch from a preacher. That's not just me trying to say, this is what you should believe. This is what God's word says without question that is our greatest desire. And, and, and here's what you can do. You can say, Justin, that's a nice sales pitch. I'm already here, thank you. you know, what are you trying to do? I hear you, I appreciate you. Maybe you're trying a little bit too much. And, and this is my response. In a, world, in a world where we are so sensitive to so many things, we, the people of God, need to be the most passionate about what is the greatest treasure that God has given us, a relationship with his son and that physical, tangible belonging we find in his family. We may not realize it, we may not, we not, we, we may not feel that it, in any given moment, but if God's word is true about anything, it's this. The great author and theologian C.S. Lewis penned one of the most striking, marvelous statements ever 
in a book that he wrote about over 100, almost 100 years ago. He writes this in Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Maybe you grew up in church and you heard a preacher talk about sin, sin, sin. How you are driven by things that are too strong and, and are, are, God does not want you to do those things because they're, they're pulling you in those directions. But the message of the Bible isn't that those things are too strong, that those things are competing for God. The message of the Bible is that we are all driven by desires that really pale in comparison to what our hearts need the most. That we think that satisfies us. We think that fills our heart. We think that brings us fulfillment. And, and C.S. Lewis says, we are driven by desires that are just too weak, that are not worthy of what our soul needs. He goes on and he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum. He's British, so his words are a little bit unique for, for, for us. Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday or a cruise at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that's a, that, 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 last, that last line is what drives me. That li last line is why I do what I do. And that last line is why you all, I think, come here each and every Sunday. Because you know that we cannot be fooled and we cannot be satisfied or falsely satisfied by something that just doesn't do the job. We opened with Psalm 84 as it is a love letter to the gathering of God's people. How lovely is your dwelling place. Verse 2 should be a verse you highlight, hang on your mirror, put in your car, look at this day after day because it tells us what we want the most. Our souls long for, our souls faint for the courts of the Lord, the presence of God and the worship that we find in his house. Our heart and our flesh cry out for these moments. Our flesh longs to be in places like this, surrounded by people like you all. Verse 3 and 4 says that even the sparrow finds a home. You and I find a dwelling place. We find a belonging. We find our belonging. We find our belonging with God and his people. Our greatest significance is found in realizing how vital our presence and our participation in Christian worship and community is. That is the secret for you finding where you belong and finding how you can matter and finding your significance. Our greatest significance is found in realizing how vital our presence and our participation is in Christian worship and community. Your song, you singing from where you stand and gather every Sunday, your offering, your presence, that matters to the kingdom of God and that matters to your soul more than anything. He says, and they say in verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day of worship and learning to love one another and launching from that place to be on mission is better than thousands that could be spent elsewhere. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Our flesh may lead us astray, but God's spirit directs us to where our solace and salvation is found. We can trust him because he's proven himself trustworthy. He loves us. He's, he, Jesus died for us. He rules over us. He built his church to give us what we want more than anything. And that is that it's significance and that purpose and that belonging. Today, we celebrate what God has given us through Christ in his church. 
If anything, this is, our God needs to hear, needs to see that we understand how blessed we are to have this place, to have each other, and to have him. May we fully appreciate what he's done for us. We, may we vow to make the most of what he's given us as we enjoy each other's company, as we depart from here later and before we come back again. Can we, can we all agree? Can we all agree and commit together to consider just how much our soul longs for places like this? Can, can we just agree that, that next Sunday morning, and you may already do this and good for you if you do, but can we just agree that before we come back next week, that we'll, that we'll ask ourselves the question, is this really what my soul wants more than anything? I mean, I mean, I, I, we all, that's something we're going to question because I don't know about you. I got a list of things that I want and a list of things that I need. And sometimes church is not always what I think is number one or being with God's people, worshiping with other people. I don't always think, well, if I don't see them this Sunday, I'm going to miss something. I'm gonna, something's going to be missing for me. I don't always process that. But what if we just thought about that? And, and, and what if that perspective could transform how we see what we do on Sundays and how we live from this place Monday through Saturday and how we represent this place and how we evangelize this place? Can we agree and commit to considering our soul's longing and our need to be surrounded? If you're not most sensitive to your soul's greatest longing, would you join me in asking for God to open your eyes to what matters most and what we need the most? And would you allow this to filter into how you lead your families, how you, how you understand your, your job and how you understand your role in your community? Would you allow all this to filter into how you realize that as I go those places, as I'm at home, as I'm at work, I'm representing something. I'm signaling to the rest of the world, to my people in my life, that I'm on mission, that I'm representing the Lord. I belong to him and I belong to a people that he's made me a family, made me part of a family. And I'm representing him every day, everywhere that I go. Would you join me in repenting for being far too easily pleased and praying that God would make us satisfied with nothing less than a life dedicated to worshiping and a life where we understand our belonging is found in him and found in his family. How different our lives would be and how different our motives would be if we realized our greatest desire is to be in the company of God's people, to be in the presence of our God. And here's the thing, Jesus said it, you only experience me to the ultimate reality when you are gathered with the other people that I've put you with. That saying, listen, I matter to you and you matter to me. We matter to each other. Because if we're gonna see God in the clearest of pictures, if we're gonna receive from God the ultimate blessing, all of us are significant to what we do here. All of us have a job to work together for his kingdom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your church, for the gift of your people. Lord, thank you for this day that really is dedicated to appreciating your church, to appreciating the gift that you've given us in each other. Everybody here today, they matter, they're significant, and they find something in this place and in this community that they cannot find elsewhere. For that one that's often questioned, for that one that just never has realized it, for that one that wonders, you know, what's the point? For that one that has loved ones at home that just don't see it like they see it. 
Lord, let us all be motivated and let us all be encouraged and let us all have a greater faith and a greater trust in you and a greater determination to find in you what we cannot find elsewhere, to belong to you in a way that we cannot belong anywhere else and to let our lives be directed from that belonging, from that place. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.